Hello, cannabis cultivators worldwide. Jordan River here with more Growcast, broadcasting straight from the Rhino's Den. Today we have Rhizo Rich on the line, the man himself. You know him from Growcast Seed Co. He's a wonderful organic gardener. He's been on the show a whole bunch. He's a good friend of mine. And we're doing the home breeding workshop that is March 4th in Rockford, Illinois. Growcastpodcast.com slash classes if you want to come see me and Rich. This is an awesome class where we are going to arm you with the knowledge that you need to start breeding your own strains and selecting to create the perfect cultivar for yourself. Plus, every attendee gets a breeding kit to take home free. We've got everything you need to get started, and we're very excited to see you March 4th in Rockford, Illinois at Next Level Garden Supply. Shout out to Next Level. So check that out at growcastpodcast.com slash classes along with all our offerings. And today we will talk to the rhino about his crosses, about mistakes to avoid in your grow and so much more. Before we get into it, though, shout out to Photon Tech Lighting, everybody. High-quality, efficient, powerful magnetic LED-style grow lights. My favorite grow lights on the market. Growcastpodcast.com slash photon brings you right there. Code GROWCAST saves you 10% on your Photon Tech Lighting. You can grab yourself an X465 watt, perfect for a 4x4. You can grab their 600 watt for a 5x5 their 1,000-watt CO2, and now you can pre-order their 1,000-watt Pro LED. This is the biggest, baddest light that Photon Tech has to offer. You're not even going to want to run this thing unless you supplement your CO2 levels or dial it down. It's that powerful. Extremely high PPF output, 2,925 U-moles per second, and an incredible efficiency of 2.9 U-moles per joule. You can't beat the Photon Tech lights. They're water-resistant. They're durable. They're magnetic bars, so they're easy to take apart and move. If one breaks, you don't have to send back the whole light. You just pop off that bar and you go ahead and get it replaced, but it's not going to break because the components are incredible and they're quality. And on the rare chance that it does, they've got an incredible warranty. Photon Tech is what I grow with. My 600 watt is ripping right now. That thing is absolutely killer. It puts out 1,620 U-moles per second, and my plants absolutely love it, folks. They're looking beautiful. Growcastpodcast.com slash photon. Use code GROWCAST. Grab yourself the sexiest light in red that you can ever find. All right, let's get into it with Riza Rich. Thank you for listening, and enjoy the show. Hello, podcast listeners. You are now listening to Growcast. I'm your host, Jordan River, and I want to thank you for tuning in again today for yet another episode. Before we get started, I urge you to share this show. Take this episode, hit that little share link, share the URL, send it to a grower friend. It's really a great way to help out. I do really mean it when I say you're helping me out, you're helping out the show when you share these episodes with a fellow grower. Today's episode is absolutely awesome. As always, before we get into it, you can see everything we're doing at growcastpodcast.com slash action. That's where you'll find the membership and the seeds and the classes. We've got a breeder class coming up March 4th in Rockford. Very, very excited for everything going on. So check it out, everybody. Growcastpodcast.com slash action. It's where all the action is. Speaking of breeder classes and Growcast Seed Co., we have none other than the man himself on the line, the man, the myth, the rhino. Rizo Rich is here. What's up, Rich? How are you doing? Good, man. How are you doing? I'm doing good, brother. I'm doing good. I'm back in town. Nice. I'm in my garden. I got this next run going. And uh, yeah, man, it's good. I'm I'm in veg with most of my plants. I got one plant in flower and uh, I'm ready to talk some growing. Today's episode is kind of classic. It's called the top five big mistakes you want to avoid in your garden. And I know I've been making them. So I'm here to tell the listeners. What's up? But before we get into all of that, how are you, Rich? How's it going in your garden? 
And what are you doing right now when it comes to your grow? Oh man, there's always stuff going on in my garden. Uh, right now I'm extra busy though. I'm harvesting uh, seeded plants. I got a little over little over 50 new seedlings that I popped. Ooh. Bunch of new stuff I'm looking through and hunting through. A bunch of our stuff, seed coat stuff, and then some stuff from other breeders too, of course. But yeah, right now mainly harvesting plants and doing a lot of up potting and Oh, transplanting yeah. seeds and stuff like that. So fun times, man. So you're harvesting these seeded plants, the Oreos feminization drop about to yes. go down. I mean, by the time people hear this, it might be live. Growcastpodcast.com forward slash seedco. As you hear this on Monday, they might be up there. Keep a close eye, though. The members, of course, getting first dibs and knowing about this. The Oreos Femline. Yeah. Absolutely excited for this, man. Oh, me too. What, what can we expect off of these Oreos crosses and and this very special Oreos cut that Farmer John gifted us? It's not like a lot of the other Oreos I've tried. Yeah, Farmer John has the Max Yields, the original Max Yields cut. I oh, think well, that's there's why. another one. <laughs> I think it's the 1.0 or something like that. There's two different versions, I believe, but he has, I really love the one he has, the original one. And uh, to me, it has a bunch of terps. I know people say that Oreos doesn't. I think you're always going to find something that has more terps than the last plant, regardless. Right. And I know since it's a hype one, people tend to hate on certain things. But for me, and, and I know you've had it too before, that Oreos, is it's got massive bag appeal, the frost. To me, it has plenty of terps. It's oh, got yeah. a killer high behind it. That's what I like is the high. It it fucks me up good. I've got a lo- I've got a high tolerance, large tolerance when it comes to Me flour, too. especially. Yeah, that Oreos gets me stoned. Yeah, and it leaves a good smell in the house after you smoke it. All around for me, I just love it. And even if it just had the frost and the high behind it, but not a lot of flavor, I'd probably still work with it and breed with it because to me that would be a great blank kind of canvas backdrop to cross into the you know the mother strains that totally. you're working with. Good call. Good call. So either way, I see it as a win-win. Absolutely, dude. And and it's interesting because you're right. Some other Oreos I've had have been kind of muted, but Farmer John's Oreos is loud. It's loud as fuck. Uh, I guess it's the Max Yields cut. That does make sense. But shout out. Yeah, appreciate Farmer John. By the way, Farmer John and Rizo Rich going to be at the Community Cup, Oklahoma. Yeah, that's right. May 7th. So stay tuned for that, everybody. Got some big stuff coming up, Rizo Rich. You ready for that? You ready for the Community Cup? Always. Always, man. Hell yeah. Yeah, that's going to be fun, man. So stay tuned for more info, guys. But mark your calendar. Sunday, May 7th is the Community Cup, Oklahoma City Farmers Market. Shout out Sherweed Forest for helping me do this event. (laughs) They are fucking angels over there. And uh, it's going to be fun. It's going to be fun, you guys. But, um, you know, we get into genetics in today's episode. Uh, It's a big part of a part of growing. You know, we talk about it all the time. Genetics kind of determining the ceiling of your grow. And then from that point, uh, what we mean by the ceiling is, you know, what your plants are capable of. Like, is it going to be able to push out 20 plus percent THC, if that's something that's important to you? Is it capable of producing anthocyanins or not and turning purple or not? That's what the genetics determine. And then it's up to you not to fuck it up, right? You got got to keep it healthy. You got to keep the plant optimal and then just kind of don't fuck it up till the end of the run. And that's how you get really good flour, like the stuff Rizo Rich uh, produces. Is that a fair statement, Rich? It's about getting good genetics and then keeping it optimal and just really not screwing things up for it. I agree. And 
I mean, just a shorter way of saying it, but you you nailed it. It's just you're trying to get that plant to reach its full genetic potential. Totally. By the end of the run, you know, you want it to max out on the numbers so far as, you know, as much terpenes as possible as the plant can possibly make, as, as much cannabinoids, you know, all the good stuff that you're after. So you really want it just to reach that full genetic potential as your main goal. So that's what you're after the entire run. Yep. At least I am. And I think a lot of people shoot themselves in the foot. I think a lot of what goofs up people's runs can be avoided. So that's what this is all about. We're going to go over five big mistakes. And these are going to be things that you're going to be able to watch out for in your grow. Maybe you commit them to one degree or another. And if you listen to this episode and employ these strategies, I know you're going to have a happier, healthier grow. So let's jump right into it, Rich. Sound good? Absolutely, man. So this is one we've talked about a little bit before, which is why I put it up front, but I did want to cover it because I'm kind of in this world right now. The first big mistake to avoid is when you see that your plants are stressing or less than optimal, jumping to adding more nutrients to the medium. I think at the first sign of trouble, a lot of people say, oh, it looks like my plant's not praying. It looks like the new growth is a little yellow. What do I need to add into this medium to fix this? That's not my first thought. You tell me, Rich, what are you thinking of when you see a plant stressing? What are you checking out before you go and run for the, uh, for the Epsom salts or the calcium? Yeah, that's a really good question. Okay, so I have a pretty good example, actually. Like right now, it's colder out. As I've talked about before, I'm, I'm in an outbuilding with most of my grows. There is one smaller tent that I have some veg, veg plants in. And I did notice a few were getting kind of lighter in color and just seemed to be struggling. And uh, kind of like what you're saying, and it'd be very tempting to just say, oh, let's throw some, you know, more nutrients at it or some nitrogen or something. But I really just sat there and and looked at everything for a minute and and the environment, everything that was going on and and kind of just thought, you know, maybe it's just too cold in this tent. And uh, got some heat, a little bit more heat in there and raised the temperature to where I thought it would be more acceptable. And since then, the, you know, the plant has corrected itself. Boom. But it is important to check all the parameters first before you immediately go to, you know, throwing something on it. Because it is the easiest and most tempting thing to do, like you're saying. You're right, though, man. To something like cold affecting the way the plant feeds. You can yeah. start, you can start, especially if you're in a soil and you need to keep that balance right in your soil, you can start really fucking things up by throwing in minerals and throwing off balances when in reality, your plant just needs some more warmth. The way that transpiration works, where the plant is taking up moisture, the solution full of minerals from the medium and bringing it up through the xylem and down through the phloem and, and the pump that your plant acts as. That's all hindered by cold. The whole process slows down by cold. And uh, on the other side of the coin, it speeds up by heat, right? You ever run that hot, hot room and you're like, holy shit, they're so hungry, right? (laughs) Oh, yeah. Growing like crazy. Exactly. So things like photon saturation, heat, CO2, these are the things that determine how much your plant is feeding and what the threshold is as well. So that's a really good point is checking the environment first thing. Too cold, too hot, too dry, too wet. These are all things that you should consider before hammering again with the Epsom salt. Oh, yeah. Another big one, Rich, is watering, right? This is the this, the specific example that I wanted to point out. We have our plant problems channel in our member discord where we're solving members problems every single day. And someone will post a plant 
just showing the top of the plant doesn't show that the pot is sitting in or what type of pot it's sitting in or anything. It'll just show the plant itself. And I'll see that the new growth is a little bit droopy and it's yellowing from the new growth from the center out. Looks like a sulfur deficiency might even be a sulfur deficiency. But this is something that I've noticed in overwatered plants. I don't know if it's just that the stress resembles that same expression or if too much water and too little oxygen, to be more specific, does hinder sulfur uptake. Um, I'll have to speak to Nick or Mary Beth about this. Yeah, right. But have you ever seen that where it's like, boy, this plant looks like it needs Epsom salts. And then you scroll to the next picture and you see that it's sitting in a super saturated medium and all the other leaves are kind of hanging down low. It's like, oh, this plant's just overwatered. That's the only thing wrong. Right. No, I've definitely seen that before. Probably been guilty of it before. (laughs) For sure, man. For sure. So I think a lot of these other stressors can resemble a nutrient deficiency. So before you go and hammer it with the uh, with the magnesium sulfate, the Epsom salts, for instance, check out all of these other stressors. You know, the other the other one that that can surprise me is pests. You ever notice a plant has pests before you see the pest damage, Rich, because it looks sad? Yes, they just, exactly. That's a good way to put it. They look sad. They just don't look like they're doing normal. Yeah. And, and you're like, what's wrong with this Performing thing? Right. Next thing you know, you see that they have thrips, you know? Oh, absolutely. And everything's getting sucked out of them, all the life force. Yeah, exactly. A hundred percent. Have you been dealing with any pests recently in your garden or you, have you been pest free? I have been very lucky and have been pest free, but you know, where I'm at, it's, it's pretty cold. So I'm very lucky in that aspect that the pests don't seem to really come around too much <laughs> unless it's just, you know, summertime or anything. And then, then sometimes spider mites might rear their head. Um, I'd say the main thing that I probably deal with is fungus gnats, and and even those aren't aren't bad, especially this time of the sure. year. A little yeah. SLF or something usually helps with that, or some BTI. Hundred percent. So that's that's what's important is you know if your plant is just hurting because you haven't scoped and there's pests, but you're like oh, I'll perk this thing up with some minerals, you're definitely just shooting yourself in the foot at that point. A little bit of a left turn, but we are talking about big mistakes to avoid in your grow. Man, keeping up on your IPM is so important. I think a big mistake to avoid is is slacking on that. What's your IPM protocol like right now, other than your frozen tundra uh, barrier? (laughs) What are you doing uh, in your garden for IPM? The frozen tundra tundra (laughs) barrier. So I still run my, the IPM program, if that's what you want to call it, that I talked about in the past where I'll spray and alternate between a few different products and veg. And then once I'm in flower, I just kind of throw a Hail Mary and I don't do shit. You just, just pray and you still haven't been bit. <laughs> That's amazing. Yeah. And I'll use nematodes and stuff, you know, um, I do water those in, but so far as like spraying anything, I don't do anything once I'm in, in flower. And then, like I said, in veg, I'll alternate between a couple products, whether that's something like a mercenary and an all plus or, uh, like, a the mammoth can trawl or can trawl. I don't know what they're calling it these days. Right. Yeah. The oil spray, the oil based spray, that stuff seems to work pretty good. You're just not supposed to spray it too much because of the stomata being clogged by the oil, I guess. Yes. Yeah. I don't spray that too much. Um, that is correct. It can definitely, you can tell it just kind of, it leaves like a shine on the plants and not, I don't want to say it's a bad shine, but it's like a overly done shine, you know? 
Yeah, totally. Like sometimes you spray stuff and it has a nice shine to it. It's, it's almost like an overly done. It's like shine. a wax, like a waxed car. Yeah, like a waxy, <laughs> like a waxy shiny shine. Ooh, yeah. I do also. I'll do like a a sulfur dip on my clones and stuff too. Other than that, though, I'm not doing really not doing a whole lot. Well, I don't know though, man. You're you're alternating two different spray products. You're probably spraying what twice a week, maybe once a week minimum preventatively. Yeah, usually about once a week. Well, that's that's uh, I'd say you're about I'd say you're about on it. If listener, if you're doing what Riser Rich is doing, I think you're about on it. Maybe twice a week would be good. Just don't be like yeah. me. Oh yeah. And leave town and then forget when you come back and then leave town again. And now it's been like weeks and you haven't sprayed. You know what I mean? That's what you want to avoid. <laughs> yeah. Or not getting anything for year years and thinking that it's cool to just, eh, I'll be good. Yeah, totally. Stop just, doing everything, which I've done before. And then you will eventually get something and be forced to go back to doing what you need to do. So just keep up with your IPM. You just made a really good point. I've been there. What is it about that? attitude where after a while of not having pests you start to slack on your ipm and you just think oh, eh, i'll be I think good it's human nature it's man. Totally i don't care nature. what anybody says i don't care what anybody says you know i mean i don't know we can be real you know like we've all been there we've all done that shit that's bizarre I think so because it's like it's you're right it's so human brained which is like well the pests haven't been coming it's like yeah because you've been spraying <laughs> Yeah. And you're indoors, you know, so you're kind of like, well, maybe they're just not coming because I'm inside and they don't, you know, totally. if you're indoors, you know, and you're, you just get overconfident, I think is what happens. You run out of the like, bottle, ah. right? Yep. You're, you run out. You're like, fuck it. I'm not going to buy another one. <laughs> you know? Holy shit. That's so true. That's so true. So there you go. A little double whammy to start. Of course, stay on your IPM, but that ties into the first point here, which is when you see a problem with your plants or your grow, scope out everything else before you go and add anything to the medium or even spray anything. Check your environment, scope for pests, make sure you're not overwatering. Uh grab a moisture meter for God's sake. I thought I was a good waterer having grown for years and years. Grabbed a Blue Mat uh moisture meter, the $80 one. I mean that $80 the is nicer gonna, ones, yeah. It's going to open your eyes to to exactly how you're watering. And I guarantee there's, you're going to change your, your strategy just a little bit. So I do think that's worth a buy. So yeah, that's, that's our first tip is watch out and don't just go and fire in minerals every time your plant is sad. Have a little bit more of a holistic approach. This goes hand in hand with that. For the next big mistake to avoid, I want to talk about stressing out your plant. You know, Rich, there's a lot of things we do to our plants that are considered stressors. Topping your plant, super cropping your plant, moving your plant from one environment to another, switching feeds. If you have to switch the way you're feeding your plant can even kind of give it a little stunt. Oh, yeah. These are all things that, you know, we'll do sometimes as growers, but they can slow your plant down. My big tip, something that I just experienced is don't stack these stressors, right? So Rich, I just got my plants back from somebody who was holding them for me. So I get my plants back from a different environment. I have to drive them in my car, which I'm sure they hated, you know, in the middle of the night, their, oh, light, yeah. their light schedules were all fucked up. I put them in the new tent. I put them on my feed. So now they're getting fed something different. And then I made the mistake of topping them. And then shortly after there, they were big anyways. So I flipped them. So all of these things are stressors, right? Right taking it out of the environment, changing the feed, driving it, 
mm-hmm. putting it on the new program, topping it. Flip- I put it all together and man, this plant was pissed. It wasn't just like I topped it. It was really right. bad. It was droopy. It was angry. I had stacked the stressors, right? And it had really pissed off the plant. Have you ever observed that? Or uh, do you have any advice oh, when it comes to that? No, I think your your tip on that is fantastic. Try not to stack too many stressors, especially when you're doing training and stuff, you know? And then, like you said, immediately flipping too. Doing that and stacking too many stressors is probably a really bad idea. I always have the thought of going into flower as strong as possible. Totally. I have no problem flipping to flower and transplanting close to it as long as you can transplant and not get, you know, it's not a plant that gets stressed out from it. You can do it without causing too much stress. But even then, I'll wait usually, you know, two or three days and let it come out of its little pissed off mood if it is in it before I flip. I almost, you know, never do it the exact same day. Good call. The transplant too. The transplant shock, of course. Yeah, just try to go into flower as strong as possible. So I I don't know. That would be my biggest tip if you are going to be doing a bunch of stressors, which most growers are, you know, is, is don't stack a bunch of them. And if you do, definitely don't do it close to close to flipping like you're talking about. Really good point. And consider the up pot as part of that transition. When your plants are just pissed off, like when you know you've your your feed regimen is fine, your environment is fine, but you just topped them really hard and defoliated and they're a little sad. Do you use any specific products to perk them up again? Or do you just usually wait for them to reacclimate? Yeah. So I usually wait because sometimes it is tempting to be like, oh, I want to give them something like we were talking about before just to make them happier again. If I happen to be watering, then I will give some silica. Nice. Just because that seems to strengthen them and make them perk up as it is. So I like to, you know, give a little bit of that if I'm happen to be watering, you know, when I'm doing that. But uh, other than that, I don't really do a whole lot. It's mainly just waiting. I think that's the important thing is not to get too worked up about them being being in a bad mood about you doing your training and just give them a, a couple of days or yeah. a day to recuperate. Be be patient, you know, don't get too, too upset about it. A hundred percent. And I think the, you just made a really good point. I let my plants reacclimate. At first I was kind of giving them too much foliar love. I think that mineral application is not something you really need to even be considered about, except for what you said, silica seems to really help with that type of stress and silica is often underfed anyways. So I would totally agree with that. A couple of products that I would consider are more of the microbial based products and the vitamin based products. So like, it seems like when my plants are pissed, spraying them with like a compost tea will usually make them a little bit happier. I think that's, that's like a good option or a, uh, you know, the product that I I used to apply more, I should get myself another bag of it is that Regentera product. You remember that stuff? Oh yeah. I I remember you telling me about it. Dude, that stuff was good because it didn't have high mineral content, but it had all the other shit. It had like it had a bunch of B vitamins and like aloe and hormones. That was a good right. product. We're not affiliated or anything, but I remember that was a good product for when your plant was just kind of pissed off. <laughs> Something to give it a little boost. Yeah, totally. Um, so, so that's another one that, uh, that I used to keep around. And if a plant is mad, hit it with some Regentera. Are they still in business? I'm going to look those guys up. The Regentera was a good mix. But yeah, you know, I think people often get a little too aggressive like I did and stack a lot of these events and then your plants mad and you're like, what do I do? I think microbes can help, but uh, just time, just time and let them acclimate in a proper environment. Yeah. I think that's the key. Absolutely. Just like with people, you know, you might need a little time after some stress to 
come out of it. Yeah, it's true. It's exactly right. So big tip number two, don't stack your stressors. We're all going to have stressful events in our garden. Don't put them on top of each other. Get some space in between there and maybe give them a little bit of a microbial treat to keep them happy throughout the, throughout the event. Now, the next big mistake I want to move on to, I don't know how much you've dealt with this particular problem or pest or pathogen, Rich, but again, in that plant problems channel, I see a lot of mistaking fungal pathogens for deficiencies. Very interesting. So, so, you know, there's a wide variety of pathogenic fungi, umycetes, you know, all these, all these new categories. Mary Beth has enlightened us on all the taxonomy, but basically what you're seeing is a harmful fungal life infiltrate your plant. There's common ones like septoria, which have, you know, this dark mottled spotting with a yellow halo around the dots. That's like a easier, weaker fungal pathogen that sometimes gets in people's gardens. But what I see, you know, there's, there's thousands of other ones. What I see is you had that one. Yeah. Right. The one that I had, Mary Beth thought was some species of water mold. And those ones that I see look very specific on a plant. So I'm going to do my best to describe this to the listener. This is how Mary Beth taught me to identify a fungal pathogen and how to differentiate it from a deficiency. So when you're looking at a fan leaf and you see that there's some fucked up burning or some spotting, the first thing you want to do is see if it's like a, it's kind of, I believe it's called necrosis. See if it's like a brown to black dying spot as opposed to like a burning or yellowing, which occurs on the edges for a potassium deficiency, for instance. If you have the like mottled dying spots, the next thing you're going to do is take that fan leaf and look at where the spotting is placed. If the spotting skips the veins in the leaves, sometimes you'll see it literally skips every single vein and there's a spot, 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 but it doesn't overlap with any of the veins. That's a deficiency, right? Whereas if these brown and dying spots are growing out of the veins and appearing overlapping on top of the veins, that indicates a fungal pathogen. And when I was first taught that, man, wow. I totally, I know, right? It totally changed the way that I looked at this. And, and fungal pathogens are very, very common, not just in soil media. I don't know what the deal is. I, I guess, I guess these pathogens are all around us every time. It's kind of scary, but, uh, but we see it a lot. Makes sense, especially when you overwater, you can get that like that terrible smell. I know you know what I'm talking yes, about. Yes, absolutely. That's exactly what we're talking about, right? Because a lot of these pathogens that we don't want occur in anaerobic conditions. Anaerobic meaning no oxygen, right? So you're overwatering, yes. like Rich says. Really good point. Maybe you're adding in a fuck ton of bacteria. You're adding in like, you know, bacterial products with nothing to consume that bacteria. So now you've got low oxygen conditions, and a whole dead mass of dead bacteria just sitting in your soil. That could cause problems. And it's something that you're going you're gonna to need to address. Rich, have you not really, I mean, I've seen you remedy things in your garden from time to time. Have you ever gotten a bad soil pathogen? I don't think I've seen that out of your garden. You know, if I have, I haven't really been aware of it. I haven't really noticed anything like, like we were talking about when you caught something, it was very uh prevalent and it was destroying your garden <laughs> it was aggressive you know. dude yeah it was aggressive you know i haven't seen anything like that but my god man it's very interesting what you say about identifying and it makes me want to start looking at things differently as well yeah dude it's it's definitely Just looking at the leaves i want to see one see that skipping that you're talking about that's crazy 
Yep. And when it's occurring on the veins, that's the fungus coming up through the water and attacking those veins. It's it's a dead giveaway. And, and listeners, I know you're going to look at people's uh, posts differently now when they post their leaf. Mm-hmm. And you'll see people in the comments saying all sorts of stuff. But Rich, you know, it makes sense because if you have a healthy living soil that's full of a bunch of good microbes, it's very hard for those harmful fungal pathogens to establish, to right? Drive, yeah. yeah. There's no room for them there. There's there's too many of, of the good ones. So now I could see overwatering though, making them breed like, yes. like we were saying, man, I could see that being a huge problem. A thousand percent in living soil. And there's so many different types, but you know it's some sort of fungal pathogen when it's attacking those veins. Now the one that I had. It definitely had, you know, like corners of the leaf would just have a big black circle that would go over multiple veins. And it's like, oh yeah, that's a fungal pathogen. But the worst symptoms were the tips of the leaves. The tips of the leaves were turning into withered black, just necrotic tissue. It was like, it would turn dark black and it would get so bad that if you like pinched the tip of the dead leaf, it would like powder off into this, yeah, into this like black powder, probably like probably some sort of sporulation, I bet probably spreading more. (laughs) Totally. So they're nasty. You guys, fungal pathogens are no joke. And it goes back to our first point. Someone will see that leaf and someone on IG tells them this is a deficiency and they start adding minerals. And it's like, that is not what's going on here. What you need to do is apply more good biology, aggressive, good biology, like trichoderma has helped people. That's what I was thinking. Yeah. Reach for the trichoderma. And then the other product you want to take a look at is a product called Mycostop, and that's a Streptomyces bacteria, Mycostop, Streptomyces bacteria. And that bacterium specifically antagonizes things like these umycetes, these fungal pathogens that we don't want. So those are the ways that I've had to battle. But uh, Rich, after moving from Oklahoma, I don't get that anymore. So I'm knocking on wood. Damn. That's me knocking on wood there. Better water source. Yeah, I guess so. I guess it can come in on the water. I don't know if it was in the pipes. I don't know if it was in the wall. I don't fucking know. But uh, watch out for those fungal pathogens, everybody. You got to watch out. All right, I'm going to hit this pen here. Take a hit of the the coffee. Got to have it. We will be right back. But before that, this, the FOOP, everybody, the FOOP.com, code GROWCAST, always for your organic fish waste-based nutrients. And you know, spring is right around the corner, and it's time to start thinking about propagation. That's right. Cloning, popping seeds. This is what you're thinking about, and what you need is to add some microbiology, baby. FOOP is my go-to organic source for propagation. You can even go to thefoop.com slash cloning, and there you'll see all their offerings, like their clone gel, their mist, their propagation packs. It's all organic. It's loaded with biology, and that's what you want when you're cloning or popping seeds. Jumpstart that microbiology. Here's a little hack. Grab yourself some of that foop mist ready to use and spray it on your wet paper towels when you're doing the paper towel method and germinating. This is going to coat your plant in beneficial bacteria and some beneficial fungi, and that is going to stimulate their immune system and get them bursting out of that seed hole vigorously and healthily. So check it out at thefoop.com cloning. Use the organic products that they have to maximize your plant's potential and always use code GROWCAST. So go ahead and try it today. Grab their mist, grab their gel. I use this stuff. I love it. And I know your plants are going to love it too. Thefoop.com. Be healthy. Go organic. Use Foop. All right, everybody. Let's get back to it. Rich, we have uh, three big mistakes to avoid so far. Don't jump to adding more nutrients. Don't stack your stressors. Don't confuse your pathogens and your deficiencies. Now we're moving on to number four. 
I know that you have got opinions on this one, man. This one's a little hard for me, but big mistake number four. I hate to say it, you guys. Moving and playing with your plants. <laughs> How much do you do this, Rich? Are you somebody who gets in there and shakes colas and squeezes and, and rotates plants or do you leave them alone? No, I leave mine alone. Once they're in there, they're pretty much set. I mean, I let the fan, you know, blow them around a little bit and shit, but I'm not in there uh, playing with them and molesting them all the time. <laughs> Truly, in the truest sense of the word, you are disturbing them uh, by physical agitation. So, like, I think this is a big point, Rich, which is we support all gardening styles here. And if you're like me and you want to look at your plants and open your tent, and, you know, touch your plants and, and stuff like that. That's all well and good. But the plant really doesn't like it, right? The plants would prefer that tent closed until you needed to water, right? Yeah, you're already fucking with their environment when you open and close it, you know? That little microclimate. I don't think people see it that way. I think that, again, if you want to be in your garden, I do not blame you. But just understand that, like me, you, you'd probably get a better yield if you just left that tent closed. I open up my tent. When I work and then I leave it open so I can see it from my desk, I leave it open during shows. Plants don't want that. Plants don't move. They don't have any sort of mobility. They like to be stationary. When a plant is under a grow light, especially, it's going to position itself in an optimal position because the, the light source isn't moving. It's not like the sun where it needs to change direction and change exactly. angles. So it's going to put itself in the perfect position. If you rotate that pot, it's going to have to take energy away to get into a better position. I know it sounds kind of nitpicky, but it's true, right? It's right? true, though. Yeah. It's, it's very true. You can watch it, especially with seedlings. If you, if you take them, they, they're very noticeable with seedlings and position it to the left or right of the light. It will definitely point itself towards that way. And then if you take the cup and move it to the other side, just watch it. It'll have to use the energy, like you said, to move itself around and, and aim itself toward the light again. So you're absolutely taking some energy away. So what, you know, why not not do it? Right. They're not moving around in the, in their natural environment. If they were growing by themselves, they're not, they don't have legs. They're not turning themselves around and, you know, doing shit like that. Exactly. Yeah. And as gardeners, we want to take pictures and touch things and move things and what do you think about touching your buds? So, like you said, everybody can garden their own way. That's totally fine. I mean, I'm not saying don't do it. It's completely fine too if you want. Every now and then, I'll I definitely touch my the buds. Or mainly, what I'll do is take like a sugar leaf on a good part of the bud, and I'll rub the sugar leaf trichomes to smell it. I usually don't actually rub the bud itself. Yes. So I don't know if that really qualifies, but yeah, I try not. I try to avoid touching or playing with the flowers, especially once they're set and really doing their thing. I don't want to disturb all the, the, uh, the little hairs or pistols or, you know, whatever. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Those trichomes get set up and you don't really want to squish them down. Yeah, you don't want to disturb the trichomes either, you know, You're touching them, they're bursting and I prefer to leave them, you know, to each their own. If you want to touch them and, and play with them, fine. It's not going to kill the plant unless you're really hurting them or something. But overall, I prefer not to not to to touch them or mess with them They're I want them to to be as optimal as possible when I harvest. 
I think that that's exactly right. And there's two big schools of thought, which is like, yeah, they, they're going to produce more. And I, you know, I would like to rough up my plants. And like you said, that's well and good. My suggestion would be what I, what I've been doing lately is I'll choose like a mid lower bud that's close to the front of the tent. And that's my sniffing bud. That's the bud that I'm, yeah. I'm going to wipe the fan leaf. Like that's you said, a really good point. Yeah. I usually try to stick with one, bud. Totally. You know, for each plant, if I'm going to be touching it or rubbing the trichomes on a sugar leaf, it's almost always the same one. It's not like I'm moving around from bud to bud. That's a very good point. Choose one that's your that's your sample bud, your sniffing bud. And maybe that's the one you can sacrifice even har- harvest. Yeah, sacrifice bud. That's the one that might be coming down early. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, pop it off early and dry it and smoke it. That's your sacrifice bud. There's another big tip. Or maybe the fan hits it hard, you know, harder than the other flowers. So right. it might have a little wind burn or something on it, you know. Totally. You're right. That's the sacrificial bud. That's hilarious, yes. dude. I like that. Protects everybody else. I like that a lot. Yeah. <laughs> Does it ensure a good harvest? Oh, <laughs> uh, I don't know. The sacrificial bud. It helps. It helps. All right. It helps it, the anxiety, though. That's for sure. It pleases the gods. When you sacrifice the bud, that's really funny, dude. So, so yeah, I think that, uh, I think that as long as you're aware that mangling your plants and just even moving your plants and disturbing your plants is probably a little bit of a net loss for the growth, just be aware of that. And if you want to completely maximize your, your plant's health and expression, you should probably leave them alone. And if you need to sniff, get one sacrificial bud and choose it. Yes. Instead of, you know, squeezing the tops like I see a lot of people do, which again, I mean, I don't blame you. It's delicious. And I don't like, I I definitely know people that will come in and like actually squeeze a bud and I'm like, no, 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 (laughs) let's not do that. Right. I wouldn't do it. Um, Just know what you're doing. That's the important thing. And know that plants like to be left alone. They don't like to be fucked with unless you're going to open that tent, give them some minerals and microbes and be on your way. So there you go, everybody. That's tip number four. Big mistake to avoid is moving your plants, disturbing your plants too much. Leave them alone. Get a get a, a wise cam, you know, or a uh, yeah. yeah, some sort of camera that you can that you can monitor. That your... energy can be put towards better use for mm-hmm, sure. Mm-hmm. Although I am guilty of this, so you know, do as I say, not as oh I yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Oh man, this is good stuff. So those are four big tips. Now we're going to move on to the last one. I think this one is a little more abstract, but I think people are going to identify with this. So one thing that I've noticed, Rich, and I know you've noticed this too, is that when people are growing, sometimes they can get a little bit stuck on a strain, a specific strain. And let me be clear. Sometimes what I mean by stuck on this strain is it's, it's all they want to grow and it's, it's the basis of their garden and it's, it's, you know, it's at the forefront. They're never going to kick it out. This is their plant. This is what they're going to grow. And let me be clear. If that's because you found a strain that's very medicinal for you, for instance, and you want to keep that around, well, that's kind of what this whole game is about. That I understand. But sometimes I'll see that people like a strain for one aspect or another, maybe it came from an exotic place far away. Maybe it's rare, but it doesn't really jive with their environment. And they're running into all these problems because this cultivar they're growing is very specific and it's, it's just not conducive with whatever environment they're growing in. You know what I'm saying? Oh, yeah. Yeah, I've definitely seen it. 
So I was just talking to Steve, our good friend, Steve Potent Ponix. He's over in Thailand and he's grown in Thailand. He's hunting these strains and he's, he's showing us the camera and all these plants are over in the corner. And he said, these ones are all going, they're all, they're all going to go. Why, why is that? Why are you calling them Steve? Well, they don't do well out here. He said, this blueberry cross is beautiful, but it shuts down halfway through the hot Thai day. And it just gets all mm-hmm. droopy and then it starts to wake up again, but then it's nighttime. So it goes back to sleep. It just doesn't work with the environment. It's probably a fucking fire strain. It looked like a beautiful plant. It doesn't work with the environment. Do you think that it's hard for people to accept that maybe this strain just isn't the best for my climate, just isn't the best for my feed cycle and let some of these finickier strains go? Yeah. I mean, especially if you're, like you said, if you're really stuck on one, I mean, some people have strains that they've been running for years and maybe all of a sudden it's just not, like you said, it's not running the same way that it should be, or maybe it's just the environment, like you were saying it could be, but yeah, absolutely, dude. I've, I've seen this quite a bit. Lots of people like to keep shit around. And then like you said, or they get it from somebody because they're in love with it. And uh, it just doesn't jive well with their grow, like you were saying. Yep. You know, they just, it something about their feed schedule, or maybe it's just the way that they run it. It doesn't come out the same for them, but they just can't get rid of it. I've seen that plenty of times. And I think the disconnect is just how differently these cultivars can grow from one another. So I just experienced this with the Molokai Citrus Kush, which I ran twice. Oh, I do remember that. Yeah. That's a good example. And I love this strain, but God damn, I have never seen such a heavy feeder. I just haven't seen such a heavy feeder, man, ever in my life. It just eats and eats and eats and eats. It's probably used to growing in the fucking ground, right? With the high mineral content. Uh, <laughs> True. Right? The Hawaiian soil. That's probably what it's used to. So when I brought it to my tent in Oklahoma... It was happy enough, but God damn, it was yellowing and yellowing throughout flower because it was just so hungry. I finally let it go this run. I love the strain. It reeks. It's probably the most volatile, loud strain out of my tent, but it's just not working well with my system. That's actually a really good example of this is, is especially stuff from seed people. You know, we all love to collect seed packs and maybe you're hung up on a certain thing and, and you pop it and like you're saying, it just doesn't doesn't do well in your garden and you're just super inclined to keep it because it's these seeds or something. Sometimes you just need to move on and go to the next thing or pop more seeds of it or, you know, just try something else just because it's something you had your mind set on. You know, you don't have to necessarily stick with it. Totally, totally. And you could be hunting new things. Maybe there's something greater out there for you. Do you really want to be babying a plant forever? You know? Right. And again, if it's, if it's the medicinal side, then that's a different story. Like you, if that's what works for you, you might need to change up your garden to make it fit. But for me, I just like the strain because it was exotic. I like the way it smelled. I like that it was from Hawaii, but I just can't keep running it. I can't do it. It's too finicky. It's not, it's not conducive. Now, Rich, one thing I will say is when you're dealing with a grow that uses containers, specifically smaller containers like my grow is currently, wouldn't top dressing this one plant be a good way to increase the nutritional delivery for just that plant and then not the rest of the tent? Sure. I mean, why not? You could throw some top dress on there, especially something that's like a quicker release, maybe like a sustain or that uh, chicken poo that I've talked about before. Something that'll break down fast. Yeah, it seems to break down really fast. And in fact, you can put it in water and, and, you know, bubble it or just leave it overnight and make like a 
you know, like a compost tea out of it. So it's very quick release for a, a organic top dress. You know, it's not like putting like a, some kind of rock dust on or something. Right. So it's an important note if you do have one of those heavy feeders, but you don't want to adjust your, if you're feeding with liquids like I am, you don't want to adjust your mix, throw in a little extra nutrition into the medium and then make sure that you have some sort of microbiology going on to help with that top dress. Maybe you can keep up that way. Good call. So yeah, just a, just a little bit of advice, but the important note being, don't be afraid to let these strains go. There's a lot out there in the world. So much good stuff. So much good stuff. So don't pigeonhole yourself. Even if it is special to you, you got to be able to let go of what you love. (laughs) It's easy to get stuck on shit these days, but like even I do it all the time, you know, and I have to tell myself like, there's just so much other shit out there and there's so many packs of seeds, you know, (laughs) so many new strains coming out daily or, you know, shit every year. I don't even want to think about how many new strains come out, but there's, it just seems like shit's getting better and better too. So don't be scared to try something new. Yeah. A hundred percent, man. So I feel that people can sometimes get pigeonholed. Just make sure you're being objective with your selections and don't be afraid to move on, you know, move on to something, to some brighter pastures. This was an awesome overview here, man. Let's just recap quickly. Uh, five big mistakes to avoid in your grow that I've been making recently. Uh, no. <laughs> first, adding nutrients at the first sign of trouble. Instead, make sure to check all the other factors. Check your environment. Check everything else that's going on and make sure before you fuck with the medium that you're making the right move. Make sure not to stack your stressors. You don't need to top and move your plants and flip and transplant all the same day. You know, Space those out and you'll have less downtime, lag time. Make sure you're diagnosing your deficiencies correctly and don't mistake fungal pathogens for deficiencies. Again, remember to make sure to look for the leaf veins. And if that modeling and necrosis is happening on the veins, that's how you know that there's something fungal going on in your medium. And then of course, don't move or fuck with your plants. They don't like to be touched uh, as much as possible, unless that is a core part of your gardening uh, happiness. I would say leave those plants alone. And finally, don't get too hung up on any given cultivar. Make sure to keep your mind open and make sure not to shoot yourself in the foot by growing this finicky, finicky cultivar instead of swapping it out for something that just thrives in your garden, easy to grow and is uh, born to be there in your exact setup. So there you go. Five big tips. Good shit, Rich. I appreciate you uh, doing this, doing this deep dive with me. Oh, it was a fun one, man. I always have a good time coming on and chatting, especially about gross shit. Oh, yeah, man. We could just wrap growing forever. But before we wrap up the whole show, though, man, tell us more about what's going on in your garden so we can expect the Oreos drop. We can go over the crosses if you'd like. And then I want to know about these 50 new plants. It seems like you do pheno hunts about 50 to 100 at a time. So people get excited, man. Yeah, there'll be a couple new ones like Banana Punch. That cut is also from farmer john i can't remember where he got it from people love that banana punch yeah it's by symbiotic symbiotic genetics it actually has like real banana terps and the frost on it is next level for sure which was the the first thing i saw when he showed it to me or his buddy showed it to me who also had a cut of it when we were in colorado i was just blown away by the frost and the the banana smell on it but it's just an all-around great great plant so i used that as a mother and hit that with some of the the oreos feminized pollen well the oreos hit it not me 
So there's that one, the truffle cake number two, which, you know, I absolutely love. And I think me and Farmer John have talked about it. I think the truffle cake and the Oreos are going to cross extremely well. They're just both super frosty with lots of bag appeal. But, you know, they both got very strong terps, whether it's raunchy or gassy or truffly or, you know, it's Mm -hmm. not like a sweeter kind of strain. So it's kind of more. More up my alley. I like the gassier, raunchier stuff. So I have really high hopes for that one. The Oreos S1s, those I'm super excited about just because I love Oreos and I would love to see what else is lurking in those lines. So I think other people will enjoy those too. And same with the truffle cake S1s. I also made those in a separate room. I let a truffle cake, uh, flipped a truffle cake, reversed it and uh made some some truffle cake s1 so i really want to look through more truffle cake seeds yeah man and uh see what's going on with those people and then you know there's floricane and oh yeah i people love that truffle cake and i have no doubt that the s1s will also find some very interesting and unique plants in those mm-hmm. i have no doubt about that so yeah i'm very i'm excited about everything that that we have going on with this this new uh pollination so and then your same slurricane you said also getting hit with the oreos that one's gonna be big you know i had to throw the slurricane in there (laughs) had to yeah there's a couple other truffle strains too like white truffle cheese white truffle the belief cut the original one which is the mother to truffle cake so there's a couple couple other truffly plants in there with different different profiles in the truffle cake. So I think they're all going to end up crossing well and making some very interesting and unique terps. And I'm not a cheese fan, but the the white truffle cheese is super, super good and complex flavor. The cheese just brought something else with the truffle, with the white truffle. Mm. And it's very pleasurable to smoke. So I really, really enjoyed that cut, got a hold of it and uh, hit that with the Oreo. So I'm excited to see what comes out of that just because we've never done anything with cheesy strain so yeah that white truffle cheese really blew you away what how would you describe that are you getting some cheese off of it i know you said it was kind of complex oh, yeah. and multi-dimensional it's but very yeah, com- it's cheesy yeah it's it's complex but you definitely get some cheese but it's mixed with like gassy truffley flavors so it's not all cheese wow. like i said I'm, I'm really not a cheese fan unless it's in crosses and it seemed to cross really well with this one and in fact if you want to look at really well done pictures of the white truffle cheese the one that i used Farmer John, I believe, just posted some pictures on his oh, Instagram. Nice. I gave him a cut of it. Nice. And I mean, she is incredibly frosty, uh, just all around beautiful plant. So if anybody wants to take a look at pictures, scroll back on his page a little bit and you'll see the white truffle cheese. Nice. The two-way highway between Farmer John and Rizo Rich. It's the, that's the highway of fire. <laughs> that's what we call that. At Farmer John 13 is, is his... Yeah, dude. Holy shit. This is going to be an awesome drop. I'm like really, really excited. Our first ever fan drop. Good work, man. I mean, I hate to say it, it it could possibly be my best work. I think it possibly could be just because of, you know, the fems and certain traits being pulled out a little bit easier. But uh, the goal with every pollination is really to be better than the last one anyway. So I could say that with every one of them. So. Dude, I don't know. They're all so good. It's it's honestly no, they hard for me to choose. You've done so much good work, Rich. In like, my head. That's you goal. should be so proud, bro. I I, I well, respect and appreciate that. I am proud. I think you've put out a bunch of A pluses. Like honestly, there. I was looking at some well, peach thank you. typhoon. People seem happy. I was thinking about I was looking at some peach typhoon the other day. Oh yeah. It was fucking insane. This thing is like pink 
and like it's like hot pink and covered in frost looking back at your lunar lemon like holy shit dude this it's crazy and you know i'm stuck on the peach quake still all the peach quake crosses i I, that that tectonic truffle that i grew was done in fucking seven and a half weeks i've never seen anything i just popped like it Hopefully I find a quick one too. That comes from the truffle because I see people talking about that oh, truffle yeah. cake finishing fast. But what happened with mine was I got the peach tones uh, from from the peach quake. So mine smelled like peach sna- schnapps or like peach nail this polish remover. Yeah, it was like peach acetone um, with like a little bit of low end mushroom type from the truffle cake. But what it got from the truffle cake was the frost coverage, and that bitch was done in minus eight weeks, less than eight weeks. I could not yeah. believe it, dude. Yeah, a lot of people got fast finishers. I was surprised. And like you said, truffle cake finishes fast, but some people were getting, you know, almost a week faster than her. So it's just wild. It's fucking dope, man. I'm really excited. Really, really excited. So thank you, man. Thank you for all you do. You're killing it with Seed Co. And and now you're going to be sharing some of your uh, information with the home breeders. We're going to be teaching people how to start their own breeding journey, start creating their own strains. And I'm excited to teach it with you, man, because you've got some really cool opinions and philosophies and met- methodologies. Are you so excited for this class on March 4th at Next Level in Rockford? Oh, dude, I'm definitely excited. I, I tell people all the time, um, new growers and long-term growers, that, you know, at least one time in your quote unquote growing career or whatever you want to call it, you should make, you know, do a pollination and make your own strain just to, I don't know, experience it. It's very rewarding totally. to, to even just, you know, pollinate and put two plants together and grow the seeds out and, and see those plants and be able to smoke them and, and know that I put those two phenos of that strain together and made this and uh, nobody else has it, you know, it's just very unique and a very rewarding feeling and experience. I think everybody should do, and it's, it's not hard to do at all. So I think it'll be fun getting that info out to people. That's going to be awesome. So we have a whole intensive workshop that I think a lot of people are intimidated to get started. And by the end of this workshop, you're going to be ready to start your breeding journey. Not only will we teach you everything that you need to know, but we're also going to do some hands-on stuff, like show you exactly what pollen application and pollen preservation and all these things look like. And then most importantly, we'll have a bunch of resources available for you to get started. So yeah, thank you, Rich, man. You are killing it. And I'm going to pop these Oreos ASAP, man. Oh, I, I hear you. I actually just popped a few myself. So with my, uh, my current 50 seedlings, so I got some of those in there and the tectonics and frost cakes, rhino butter, got some key lime madness. Ooh, the key lime madness, dude. That's just my favorite. Yeah, I definitely had to uh, pop a couple of those that I had laying around. I wanted to look through more of those. And, and I got some shit by other breeders. I got like this Fresh Coast, the, the garlic ice mints and the purple Urkel cake. Ooh. Some uh, relentless, there's black cherry gas. Ooh. Some exotic genetic stuff. His apes in space. A couple of these packs were from that uh, member in Virginia, Chuck. Oh, shout out Chimichucka. Yep. Hell yeah. Hell yeah. That was so nice for him to donate. Yeah, so, he's a badass. So that's that's the new pop. You got about 50 strains that you'll be hunting through for the next pollination, whatever it may be. 50, a little over 50 seedlings, not strains, but yeah, a little over 50 seedlings. Okay. And and yeah, there's some, some key lime pie fems from Caper in there. There's a couple other strains that I can't remember off the top of my head, but... Uh, oh, hell yeah. 
oh, the members, they wanted me to pop some of the, uh, when I did that poll a while back, the key lime pie across the gelato by Slaughter Genetics. So I popped some of those. That pure Michigan cross with the dino meat. Oh, yes, that's right. Can't think of, of everything off the top of my head. But yeah, just a lot of really, really good shit. It'll be very, very interesting to see what we end up getting in there. Because yeah. I like the the larger seed hunts. You know, you can get multiple things going on, see multiple phenos. Like I said, I'm I'm probably most excited about looking through the Oreos or the truffle cake Oreos and then the S1s and, of course, the uh, frost cakes and tectonic rhino butter. Our shit probably is what excites me the most, but I'm always excited to see what else I get in other people's stuff, too. And all the stuff that I'm popping from other people seems to be fire, so I have no Hell doubt yeah. that it'll be dank, too. Hell yeah, man. I cannot wait. We will be staying tuned. And uh, again, listeners... I will update, obviously, on this show when the Oreos drop goes live. You're hearing this Monday. There's a possibility it could be up, but uh, stay tuned. And you can find all of Rich's work at growcastpodcast.com forward slash seedco, S-E-E-D-C-O, growcastpodcast.com slash seedco. Uh, well, man, uh, that's all for today. Any final words before we wrap it up? Appreciate you. I appreciate you. Appreciate everybody that supports us and seedco. Y'all kick ass. Been very motivating for me, at least, to keep doing what I'm doing. So I appreciate each and every one of you, all the listeners, everybody. We love the members, the listeners, and all the growers out there. Stay tuned, everybody. Again, come and see us, Rockford, Illinois. That yeah. is March 4th at Next Level Indoor Garden Supply. Big fans of Next Level, shout out. Thank you so much for hosting us. They're wonderful totally. people. And I'll see you, members and listeners, there with Rizo Rich. All right, that's all for today. Hope you picked up a couple of things uh, to learn to avoid, and we'll see you on the next episode of Growcast, everybody. This is Rizo Rich and Jordan River signing off, saying to you, be safe out there and grow smarter. Later on. That's our show. Thank you so much for tuning in, and thank you to Rizo Rich. Of course, you can find Rizo Rich on Instagram or in our Discord. And check out Growcast Seedco at growcastpodcast.com slash seedco. And think about coming to visit us March 4th in Illinois for our home breeding workshop. Rizo Rich is going to teach you everything you need to know to get started breeding. It's going to be a blast. Find that at growcastpodcast.com slash classes. Thank you to Next Level Garden Supply for hosting us. We'll see you March 4th, everybody. Before we wrap it up, shout out to our partners, AC Infinity. The best grow gear in the game. Code GROWCAST15 saves you 15% at acinfinity.com. They've got the thick, sturdy tents with the thick canvas and the thick tent poles. The best tents in the game. They've got the fans that you need, the inline fans, the cloud ray oscillating fans now. Again, code GROWCAST15 for 15% off. The best quality grow gear you can find. They've also got lights and scissors and pots and hangers and so much more. But when it comes to the fans and the tents, there's no one else out there that does it better. The inline fans, the Cloud Line series are fantastic. The S series is the simple series. Still comes with a 10-speed fan controller. And the T series comes with a controller that lets you automatically dial in your temperature and humidity. ACinfinity.com, code GROWCAST15 for 15% off. They even have grow kits that come with everything you need to expand. Get that second veg tent, get that second flower tent you've been thinking about. Save with the kit and use code GROWCAST15, which now works on those kits. Saving you extra money 
with the best gear in the game, acinfinity.com. They've been our partners for years. We brought these guys along a long time ago. They've really, really expanded and done a great job. acinfinity.com, code GROWCAST15. That's all, everybody. Thank you so much for tuning in. Hope you have a lovely time out there. Hope your garden is beautiful and lush. We'll see you on the next GROWCAST. Bye-bye. Sacrifice, bud.